there are no words to adequately explain what Jesus Christ has done for us. No words. Yet all I have are words. Better, we have the Word of God. Because we are in a series on Jesus and the Gospel of Mark, I want to read a portion of the Gospel of Mark. What Mark has to say about the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me. I'm reading from Mark chapter 15 and beginning in verse 33. Mark 15, verse 33. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now that would be noon to 3 p.m. We know that Jesus was on the cross for six hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. The Jewish Sabbath begins on Friday night at 6 p.m. Jesus had to be taken down before that. So at the sixth hour, that's noon, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now imagine that, three hours. (laughs) Three hours of total darkness. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why? Why, God, have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with a wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And there it is. It's 3 p.m. Just a little over three hours ago, on that first Good Friday. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he had died, he said, surely this man, surely this man was the Son of God. Now all the Old Testament pointed to this. Pointed to this. Jesus is the Passover lamb, the point of every single Jewish sacrifice. Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 53, what Brian read a portion of just a moment ago. All the Old Testament pointed to this, the death of Jesus Christ. The Gospels, like what we have just read, describe it. And later in the New Testament, when we come to the letters or the epistles, the epistles interpret this, they unpack this for us. And tonight, I want to zero in on this crucifixion of Christ that's described here in the Gospel of Mark. And I want to talk about it in terms of the ultimate expression of the mercy of God. And and to do that, 
I want to go to Paul's letter in the book of Ephesians. So if you're following with me, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. So we're looking to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 to unpack for us what we've just read here in Mark chapter 15. So Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. As for you, now Paul is writing to believers, to uh, the church in Ephesus, maybe house churches uh, distributed in the larger area around Ephesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature children or objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance before the foundation of the world for us to do So what Paul is telling us here in Ephesians chapter 2 is Good Friday is a cosmic declaration. A cosmic declaration that the infinite, holy, transcendent creator God is a merciful God. A merciful God. Now if God's grace is God's goodness towards those who deserve punishment then God's mercy is God's goodness toward those who are in misery or distress. God's grace is God's unmerited favor. God's mercy is God's unmerited compassion. And the mercy of God never falls short. We fall short. Jeff and Tracy, we fall short. God's mercy? Never. Nada. Not once. Now, writing to Ephesians believers, to people that Paul dearly loved, Paul has some very strong things to say. If you go back to verse 1, He says, apart from Christ, before you came to Christ, you were dead. Not sick, but dead. And the implication is dead people cannot, cannot make themselves alive. Think about that. 
And then in verse 2, he continues, apart from Christ, before you came to Christ, you were in bondage to the clutches of Satan. You drank the Kool-Aid of the archenemy of Jesus Christ. The Kool-Aid of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And then in verse 3, we were by nature uh, children or objects of wrath. That's God's wrath. That's divine wrath. Now, I don't know how to say this other than to say there is a ton of wrath and judgment in the Bible. Uh, Our kids, my kids, your kids in Sunday school uh, draw pictures of the animals going into the ark two by two, but the uh, other part of the story, that terrible part of the story, is millions and millions of people were drowning. Judgment, wrath. In the very next book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, uh, Pharaoh refuses to submit to God. It takes his army to defeat the people of God. And every single soldier in Pharaoh's army perishes in the Red Sea. Wrath, judgment. Not one of those dads went home. We come to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And in the book of Revelation, we read that anyone's name who is not written in the Lamb's book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment. Wrath. And, and here in the, this famous letter we call Ephesians, in chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul says, and we were by nature children of wrath. So great is our sin in the sight of a holy God. You know, today we go to funerals and and regularly we hear people say, well, so-and-so's in a better place. Really? Maybe not. Wrath. You are by nature children of wrath. That should make you uncomfortable. Then we come to verse 4. And and we read these unexpected, crazy, incredible words. God who is rich in mercy. uh, Abundant, overflowing, unlimited. Who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. How? How? Well, that's the point of this. That's the point of that. By slaughtering his son on Good Friday. By putting Jesus Christ to death in our place for our sins. And I want to say to you, this Good Friday, 2014, not quite 2,000 years after the first Good Friday, 
There is no greater evidence of the richness of God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, God's compassion, God's forgiveness for you and for me than Christ crucified for our sin. Listen to how another put it. In the depths of our depravity, Christ died for us. He did not wait for persons to get as close as possible through obedience to the law or through righteous living. Never once did Jesus proclaim to his father, uh, look at him, look at her, they're close enough. This one's made it. In the breath of our separation from a holy God, Christ died for us. He died for people who yelled, crucify him. He died for those who ripped his flesh with whips. He died for those who slapped him, who spit on him, who rejected him, who mocked him, who embedded a crown of thorns into his brow. He died for those who humiliated him by stripping him of his garments. He died for the 11 who deserted him. In the moment in all of history when humanity could not have been further from God, Christ died for us. He bore the wrath of God. But Christ died not just for them, for that generation. Christ died for me. He who knew all things died in advance for the most depraved deeds you and I would ever commit. And although we were not present, in that crowd, on that dreadful first Good Friday, our sins were, our sins were, each and every one of our sins. As Jesus went to the cross and absorbed the wrath of God for our sins. Two months ago, Rhonda and I were in Los Angeles. We were with a small group of people. There were a couple of us that was speaking. And it was Francis Chan's turn. And I will never forget Francis Chan weeping as he talked to us in this room about the mercy and the love of God revealed in Gethsemane. He, he put it like this. Imagine a son saying to his father, Dad, can't there be another way? Uh, Dad, they're rebellious and unrighteous. I, I'm the polar opposite. I'm totally innocent. Uh, father, Take this cup from me. Please, please, please. And can you imagine as a father turning and saying to your son, no, there is no other way. As Isaiah 53 so violently put it, it was the Lord's will 
to crush him. To crush him. To crush him. Jesus Christ, the object of our sin. Why? Well, Paul tells us. Paul unpacks. Paul interprets. Paul explains. In Ephesians chapter 2, what's going on in Mark chapter 15. And as Paul says, because God is rich, overflowing, abundant in mercy. And because of that, he longs to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness and righteousness and eternal life to all who will turn from their sin and embrace by faith Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So Good Friday is all about the death of Christ. But the death of Christ is all about the mercy of God in Christ. And There are no words that can adequately explain that. No words. So when the crowds rejected Jesus, when the soldiers tortured Jesus, when Jesus allowed the nails to be driven into his body, when Christ cries from the cross what we just read, Father, why have you forsaken me? All of those, all of those, and and, and thousands more are acts of divine mercy. Each and every one of them. Pictures of God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. For us today, as Paul says, God who is rich in mercy made us alive, made us alive together in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And so the good news of Good Friday is that God wants to grace you. God wants to bless you. God wants to love you. God wants to protect you. God wants to take care of you. God wants to see you through. God wants to bring you home. God wants to get you to heaven. Because he is overflowing in mercy. As Paul will put it in Titus chapter uh, 3, He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. His mercy. So look at the cross. Uh, Look at what Anne and, and Violet have painted. And think about mercy. God's mercy in Jesus Christ. And it's just as real today as it was on that first Good Friday. Let's pray. Father, this is... This is so hard. This day is 
difficult, it's confusing. We want to live in light of your mercy and we gravitate towards your mercy, but we can't appreciate your mercy unless we understand your holiness and your righteousness, your wrath. I think of the words of the psalmist in the famous psalm, Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Mercy. Every day of my life. And this side of the cross, what, 3,000 years after David said those words, we know that we will have mercy and goodness following us all the days of our lives because of the crucifixion. Because Jesus Christ died for our sins. So Father, this Good Friday, right now in this moment, we thank you for mercy and we ask that you would open our eyes to live in light of this incredible mercy. And we pray in Jesus' incredible name. Amen.